And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100% And on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big John McCarthy. Well, good day to everyone. It is the 4th of July, the day that we have been looking for. We've got the Independence Day shirt on. A very happy 4th of July to all the people out there from the United States of America. If you're not and you're international, whatever it is, party today because it's a great day to be alive because you get to listen to the Wing In Podcast with my man's back. There he is. The real punk is finally back. I don't know if we want him. We'll talk about whether we're going to keep him or not. But Josh Thompson coming back from a beautiful vacation, it looked like. I hope you had a good time. It looked like you were enjoying yourself there, mister. Yeah, there was no stress whatsoever. I didn't have to listen to Dave's screechy voice like a lot of the fans had commented in the comment section about and his ugly rat face looks, his those type of things. But, hey, I'm glad. I am glad that you guys were able to run this show without me for once in your life. So I'm glad. Nothing would ever have worked properly without me. And let's just remember, okay, let's just, I want to remind everybody outside, everybody that's listening to this show, this, all, this show only exists because of Josh Thompson. No, <laughs> no hey, you guys were awesome last week. I actually listened to you guys while I was out, sitting on the beach uh, with a Bahama mama. <laughs> and I was just uh, en- enjoying the, the small little tiny waves crash on my fat toes. It was beautiful, man. It was nice to get out, get away, and enjoy some time with family and friends. And uh, it was great, man. Did a lot of uh, what's called free diving. You know, and stuff. It was it was a wonderful place. Beautiful little area there. And uh, hopefully we'll go back sometime. Maybe John. Maybe John. Maybe you could come with us. You and uh, Dude, I will McCarthy. Come. But go overall, fishing. overall, it was great, man. It was great. Went fishing. Uh, we caught a shark. We, we, you don't bring them in. You just, as soon as you realize it's a shark, you kind of cut it loose. But it was kind of cool. Little black, uh, black tip, black tip reef shark. So it was pretty cool, man. Good, good experience. Bunch of grouper, bunch of other fish. I don't remember the names of, but yeah, it was fun. We had a great, great just time. Just something that swam. Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It's just funny. Like it's. I, I've never was a big fisher guy, a fisherman, I, and I didn't really care for hunting. You know, I just I love seeing them up close. I love seeing fish. I love seeing the animals up close. You know, I don't know. That's just me. But I mean, don't get me wrong. I like to eat fish, and I like to, <laughs> I like to, I like to eat elk and deer and and bear and bear sausage, all that shit. But I just I just never had the desire to go out there and kill it. So, um, anyways, great great show last week, guys. Good job. Glad you guys uh, were able to hold the fort down. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, I know the crowd's probably thinking to themselves, "Man, he's already back. Shit, stay long, stay away longer, <laughs> stay away longer." But uh, good stuff. Um, all right, well, hey, let's uh, let's pop into some news. It was a heavy load last week. I admit, I my back, especially with my wrist, I'm a little sore right now, so I want to move around here a little bit. But uh, yeah, we we took care of business. We do have some news coming. We got a big fight coming up, and we do have some news, some questions being put out there. I don't know if you saw Conor McGregor's uh, left elbow, but someone was saying he might have a staph infection on that sucker. He came back and said no. Did you take a look at that picture? No, I didn't what take a think? I didn't take a look at it. But like, like, look, even if he does has something, John, the fighter's gonna lie about it. Like, no he, kidding. <laughs> they're not gonna say, "Yeah, I have staff." Now you get the commissions involved. Like, okay, is it so contagious? Is it like that's like get him on antibiotics? Um, the antibiotics will run its course before the time he's got to fight. It takes about four to five he's got days. Time. Yeah, he's got time. 
The other thing is, well, the people are like, oh, yeah, but yeah, he was on antibiotics. Your conditioning doesn't go away. He'll flush it out when he makes weight. He'll feel fine once he's, as long as he's not on antibiotics by the time he fights, you know, or yeah, during that the week. Day or, before, <clears throat> day of. Yeah, so if he's going to, what he should be doing, and what most people do when they cut weight, they water load, say, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, then they drip it down to almost nothing. That should flush all the antibiotics out of his system if he is on antibiotics. And then, you know, Thursday, Friday, you make weight, and then Saturday, you whoop some of that. That's, you know, it's so I think. I think he's going to be fine. I mean, if he's got it all, if he already knows he has it and he's on antibiotics now, he'll be fine. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I saw it and I go, look, it, it could be, you know, it could be that, you know, he, he scuffed his arm against, you know, a railing or a side of a building or who knows, but he's not going to tell you, yes, I've got staff. That's, that's because Connor's kind of smart. Well, who, really, who released the story? I, don't ask me, man. Someone yeah. just posted a picture on Twitter. Someone took a picture. Connor was on his bike cycling and, you know, took a bunch of pictures, posted them on IG Twitter. Someone took one of the pictures and then zoomed in on the elbow and then posted it and then, you know, started a uh, snowball effect from true, there. True, true MMA journalism at its at finest. At its finest. Oh, so you got it from a fan who was on a bike who zoomed in on the elbow from... You know, fifty yards away, <laughs> it's all pixelated. <laughs> it gets to know. I mean, it's just you no. Know, this is this is the problem with they're doing whatever they can. MMA media is trying to do whatever they can to get people to hit the clicks and the likes button on their on their website. That's so, it. and we're click here doing bait. the same thing right now, talking about it. But it's a uh, look. I mean, I understand the concern. If you're a fan, you're like, hey, man, I want to see the best Conor McGregor fight, the best Dustin Poirier, and so I get that, but. The reality is, is that he would lie anyways about it. He's probably on the antibiotics. If he is on the antibiotics, it'll be flushed out of his system by the time it's fight time. I agree. So not much no to problem talk about. What else you got for us, Dave? All right, so with that, we're going to jump into the fight itself and do weighing in on the odds. Let's talk about this fight because there's so much. I hear more I don't want to say crap. It's not crap. It's someone's opinion, so it's it's important, and I want people to know that I care about everybody's opinion. You hear that, Josh? I care about you. <laughs> I really do. Really? So it's, it's so weird. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't really get that vibe. As you know, come on. As John, as I, I mean, I'm sitting here caring. As John talks over my opinion, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I just let you. I just. I just continue to let you do it because I know old people, right? They just. They haven't set in their mind because if, if I stop you, you may forget what you're going to say. So this, like, this is true. This is true. We know that right. I'm the one that has the memory problem. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> this is so true. This is so true. Man, I see. I see more people talking about. Well, you know, Connor does. You know, so good in rematches. Are people forgetting that he rematched Dustin in his last fight? <laughs> okay. it, this has nothing to do with rematching this yeah. has to do with styles and what people do and in the end if connor is that same guy that came into the cage in his last fight against us and in his style is similar to that guy he's gonna have problems again now he can win the fight especially in the first round but if he continues with that heavy you know, forward motion, big, a lot of weight on the front leg, and a boxing approach. He's going to have problems with Dustin Poirier, and he's got to figure out that low leg kick because if he doesn't, he's going to end up in the same position of, 
now he's being compromised. He doesn't have a base that takes away a lot of his power. All these things add up in the fight. And so really it's, can Connor come back and be the Connor of, I want to say old, but the Connor of the past where he uses that, you know, in and out motion. He's light on his front foot for the most part. He uses a more bladed stance. He uses the kicks that he was not using in that second fight. All of that is what really matters here because when if you look at the odds, Dustin's a little bit of a favorite. You know, he's minus 125 compared to a minus 105 for uh, Connor, but it's basically a pick em fight. You're going with the person you think. You know, the odds in this as far as your thought process on who you're going to bet on has nothing to do with it. This is, I think Connor's going to win, or I think Dustin's going to win. Yeah, GSP came out and said that he thought that Connor was good in rematches, and this is, you know, in the terms of a trilogy type fight. But I want to remind everyone, okay, I'm going to give you a full breakdown as quick as I possibly can. The reason why this fight is so effective or is, is so interesting in terms of styles is they're both Southpaw, and that's what made that, that low calf kick so effective. Had one of them been a conventional fighter being right-handed, then the inside it would be more of the <clears throat> it would be more of the lead leg doing the damage to the calf, and it's not as effective with as much power. Now, the reason why I think that Connor has a great chance of winning this rematch, it's not because he's mobile and because he's gonna I think he's gotta do all that regardless. He's gotta go back to the movement. But what he also has got to do is he's gotta go back to him kicking the calf himself. Like he said in the first fight, he didn't realize the effect of that calf kick. Because he really hasn't been fighting during the time the calf kick has just taken off and taken over the sport. And so now, if he wants to go out there, I believe that he's got faster and harder kicks than Dustin Poirier. So if he goes out there right off and sets the precedent that he kicks first, whether right to the calf or not, to the leg or the calf, I think you could see Dustin being the one that is taking the more damage on that lead leg. Dustin was the one that knew that if I got to his lead leg first, it would slow his movement down, make him easier to punch. And that's exactly what happened in the second fight. Now, if Connor goes out and does the same thing, he moves in and out, avoids the shots, because he won't, he will not be able to, no matter how great a shape he's in. He's proven in the past, whether it was Nate Diaz or anybody else he's fought, his movement slows down significantly, probably around rounds two and a half and three. He yep. slows down. So to think no that doubt. he could stay moving and avoiding those calf kicks for five rounds is just, it's not going to happen. Okay. No matter how good uh, people say he is which he is he's phenomenal um i just don't think he's gonna be able to do that for five rounds now for two and a half three rounds he can cause enough damage to dustin's calf okay as well as avoiding the damage to his but as they both slow down it's going to come down to who kicks the hardest and i think right now it's going to be conor mcgregor if he gets back on that track if he was back on track during his camp of letting the leg kicks go because to me he's faster than dustin he's i felt like he's got a little bit more power in the kicks than dustin but can he get there and get out before getting kicked? Because now what, when, I, when, I, when someone would do something to me when I would fight, they would do it to me, um, and it hurt, I would try to do it back to them to let them know, like, hey, don't do that to me anymore. Because it works in training. It works in sparring as well. Hey, you kick me hard, I'm going to kick you hard. You punch me hard. Like, there's just you hit me to the body, I'm going to hit you to the body. So it makes them want to make them a little more hesitant to throw it again. Okay, now you're on to me. You know what I mean? So I think for Connor, if he comes out, Sticks with, you know, sticks with the movement, stays long with the jab. The problem with being long with the jab and being the both uh, being both southpaw, when you jab in, he's going to be able to kick that leg. You know, so that's the other issue. And so he needs to mix it up a little bit. Go, go to the calf kick, go to the inside leg, and use that tip kick to keep Dustin away. If he does that, he should have a pretty successful night. 
I just think the longer the fight goes, I think it favors Dustin Poirier. No doubt about it. <clears throat> He's this just is, durable. This is one of those fights where you look. Well, I, yeah, go back to the Dan Hooker fight. You know, when Dustin had that fight with Dan Hooker, it was a fantastic fight. But Dustin took a ton of punishment in the first two rounds, came on and won those last three rounds, and was putting it on Dan at the end. That's the durability that he has that you look at Connor. Connor's a tough dude. I'm not saying anything, but he slows down considerably in the fight. So if you're looking at this and you, if the fight ends early, you know, in the first round, you got to look and say it's got to be Connor. What's the over under, John? Over under on it. My God, what is that? 150 minus 150 on the under of one and a half. And then minus one eighty on the over of one and a half. Plus one fifty. I'm sorry. Is that plus? I'm sorry. Plus one fifty. I screwed up. All right. So plus, plus one fifty on the over. On the under. No, the you under. only get a, you get a round and a half at plus one fifty, and then minus one eighty at anything over that. So, got it. Got it. I honestly think it's going to go over it. I honestly think it's going to go into the second second half of the second round, third round. I don't know if it's going to go into the championship rounds. Wow. Okay, 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 John. Let's let's have this conversation then. Who are you leaning towards? Because you know it may change between now and next time we do our show. And I'm not. It's you're not a flip flopper, so I'm I know not, you're a flip flopper. I'm not leaning towards either guy. I I know both guys can win this fight. Both guys are outstanding. And I, and I've said, you know, like we said on the last show, Dustin Poirier, in my opinion, has been the best lightweight in the world. You know, for the last year and a half. Now, he hasn't fought Charles Oliveira, so there is that you know question because Jar- Charles has been fantastic, too. I don't want to take anything away from him. But you just look at the lineup of people that Dustin has been fighting. He's been fantastic. So him and Charles, no doubt, are the two best lightweights as far as activity and wins You know there is. Since Dustin moved up, you know, we were talking about it before, since he moved up to lightweight from being that featherweight that I thought he was cutting too much weight, He's really got that one loss. You know, he's, he had the, the two fights with Eddie and we talked about and all that stuff, but he had the one loss against Khabib. Other than that, man, he, look at the people he ran through. I mean, Anthony Pettis and Justin Gaethje and, like I said, Eddie Alvarez, Max Holloway, you know, then Dan Hooker, then Conor McGregor. He's been phenomenal. So he's as good as any lightweight in the world when you're looking at what he's been doing in the, you know, the last eh, how you know three four years he's been phenomenal and he's durable he took big shots in that you know second connor fight and he the hooker fight he took some big big shots and and the big thing about him when you're watching him fight it's not that yeah he's getting hit it's his reaction to being hit he used to get mad come forward and start to wing shots trying to get it back now he gets hit he steps out, he circles through, and now he comes back, resets, and let's do this again and let me see what I can land. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't sit there and go, I have to get this back right now. He knows that it's okay. I'm going to get mine. And he's just fighting just way smarter than he did, you know, when he was a little bit younger. And it's just he's matured as a fighter. He's a, he's a smarter fighter. He's more dangerous by far you know, now at this age than he was, you know, six years ago. Oh, absolutely. I, I look at what he brings to this. Yes, anybody can be put out. And Connor does have, 
He's got great timing. He understands control of distance, and he's got power in his hands, and he can put any lightweight there is. I think that, you know, I'm not sure with one shot, but obviously with, you know, multitudes and volume, he can put anybody out, and he could do that to Dustin. But I just don't see it happening, and I think as the fight goes on, the fight goes towards Dustin Poirier. I think it starts out, it definitely, in the first round, it favors Connor, Connor. It favors what Connor does. It favors a lot of things that, you know, go in his, you know, side with the attributes of the speed and the timing. But as the fight starts to progress, I think the fight starts to lean towards Dustin. So it's really the question of, you know, do you believe that Dustin's going to be able to pull that fight into the second, third round? Now you have the ability to look at Connor's skill set just starting to slow down. And that becomes the problem for him. You know, when he's able to control the distance and timing, and people can go back and say, well, you went five rounds with Nate Diaz. Yes, he did. He looked fantastic. But I want you to go back and think about it. When he was controlling the pace and location of the fight, like he did in the first and second round, he was he was doing great. And when he wasn't able to and someone was able to press him, like in the third round, you saw him starting to have problems with cardio because he's a fast twitch muscle fiber athlete. He, you know, it's not that he's not in shape. He's in shape, but it tends to, you know, it tends to slope off into that, you know, that cliff that starts to fall apart. And he needs that time to get things back. He was able to do that with Nate, but it was all about how who was able to control the pace of the fight. If he can't control the pace of the fight with Dustin, it's going to be, you know, lights out somewhere in that second and a half the third, maybe even fourth round, but I don't know. It's both guys can win, so it's that's what makes it fun. No, I would agree with you. Um, in terms of uh, the longer the fight goes, I think it favors Dustin. I think the reason why um, it makes it easy for me to make that decision is because if you look at the Dan Hooker fight, Dan Hooker's long, he's lanky, and he was getting pieced up. Dustin was in the in the first couple rounds, but then, like you said, he's matured as a fighter. He's now, you know really take into consideration what um, Mike Brown's done for him, the ATT group and coaches have done for him. He really just plots forward now and just systematically just starts picking you apart. And that's what happened in that fight with Dan Hooker. He realized that the game plan that he was running with wasn't working. He needed to put a little bit more pressure, start ripping the body. And once he started doing that, he started having success with everything else landing. I feel like he is now, like you said, mature enough to make those adjustments as the fight goes on instead of just biting his mouthpiece and going, I'm going to take your head off. And that is just the, that's, that's fight IQ. That's just listening yep. to your coaches and your corners, and the ones that have helped get you there. And he's a smart kid. He's a very smart young man. He understands how this game works. I mean, he's been around all the, you know, some of the best fighters in the world since, you know, before when he was still fighting at 145. But the one thing, that I feel is very important is his durability. It's changed, you know, uh, before, you know, he was getting touched at the higher, at the, at the 145, you know, and, and it, he was getting in trouble sometimes, you know, and he's a, he's a stud, man. He's a stud. He's got a chin. He's got a great chin. Um, but I just think in, the weight cut itself was way too much. And I've told this story, I don't know how many times, but I met him when I trained with Frankie Edgar for the second Benson fight, Benson Henderson fight. And he was up in New Jersey and Tom's River, and we were training together. And I was like looking at him going, how enough do you make 145? This kid was enormous. He's like 182, 184, whatever, when I, when I met him. I'm like, there's no way you make 145. 
And he was huge. And so I can see now at 155, he's just having such a successful career because he is durable. And we've seen in the past fighters have cut too much weight. The durability goes down, a la, you know, TJ Dillashaw. You know, he got pieced up, touched up a little bit. And it's because, I mean, he sucked himself down to nothing, you know. And um, and that's that's kind of a crappy situation, you know, when you see fighters that they grow, they've grown up losing weight, cutting weight for wrestling, whatever it is. They think they can just keep doing it. But as you get a little bit older and then you got to remember in wrestling, you're not getting clubbed in the head. You're not getting kicked in this, you know, like your brain needs fluid in there to, to operate, you know, properly. And so I'm glad that he went up to 55. I think his durability is going to play a factor, especially as this fight gets into the fourth and the fifth round. Um, I think it's going to go three and a half to four. You know, I think Connor's movement will get it to get that thing at least into the third round. His movement, like I said, if he stamps his, if he stamps his name on the the push kick, the toe kick to the body, like he like to use against Chad Mendez and other fighters, that'll keep Dustin at bay. You know, um, no flashiness. You don't need to do the spinning shit. Make yourself more tired because Dustin will be there in the fourth and the fifth round. I get it if you want to throw one, but he send he tends to sometimes overthrow them as he gets desperate a little bit. And so he needs to make sure he doesn't do that. I think the toe kick to the body will keep the distance. So that'll take away that calf kick as well. And then I think he needs to set precedent that he can calf kick Dustin as well and make it hurt. If he let, if he does that right off the bat, he goes to the calf on Dustin, Dustin may be a little hesitant to start kicking himself. Because Dustin's had some problems as well with the calf kick. I'm trying to remember who he fought when it happened. Justin Gaethje. Yeah, I'll say he was having a hard time. He was struggling. He was kind of switching stance a little bit as well. Don't get me wrong. He made the adjustments, yep, um, you know, and Justin uh, and, and Justin Gaethje, I think, kicks probably harder than Connor does. I mean, from what everyone tells me, I mean, I haven't been kicked by either one of them, but everyone tells me that Justin Gaethje's Thank got God. fucking donkey kicks, you know? So, I mean, I, I would believe that, that Dustin will take at least, you know, a good four or five, depending on the mark and the position of the kick, but... um. I think I think Connor's got to set set the tempo right off the bat. I'm going to kick you in the calf first because I'm a little bit faster and fresh right now. And as the fight goes on, hopefully you'll stop you'll stop kicking me because I'll kick you back. Kind of situation. They end up boxing and you go to the toe Don't kick, kick to keep me, the distance. Kick you back. That's really what it comes down to, though, John. I think fighters they look at each other and they think, you know, if I'm you do it to me, I'm going to do it to you. And you know, hopefully you'll stop doing it. it doesn't always work that way, but you know, it lets them know like when you kick me hard, whether it's a toe kick or you know, a tip kick or whatever it is, you know, I'm going to try to do the same thing back. And if I land it clean, you're going to be like, oh, okay, if I do it again, he's going to do it again. I don't know if I can take another one of those. And so it's a, it's a, it, like you said, it's a toss-up fight. I believe it's a toss-up fight. It's a 50-50 fight. It really, it really comes down to who can implement their game plan. I'm just pumped to watch it, cover it, do all the things that oh, we're going to do. It's, it's going to be a great fight. I think uh, it's going to be Connor before three rounds, and it's going to be uh, – it's going to be Dustin after three rounds. So I'm a little bit off of you. I, I think that you, it could be Connor one to two and then three, four, five is Dustin. I could go with that. Yeah, I can go with that as well. Close. Yeah. Uh, what else we got? Either of you are doing plus 2000 for a submission from McGregor. <laughs> no, I am not going. I'm, I, I was thinking about it, but I'm not going to go plus 2000 on McGregor for a submission. That probably is just not a good bet. But, you know, you could go, what What do they have? Poirier by submission plus 600? Possibility. Yeah, that's a good bet. Well, but the problem is Con- Connor really doesn't shoot. And that's, you know. He shoots when he gets Justin tired. Catches. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> good point. 
You know, when Dustin catches guys, he catches them in that guillotine a lot of the time. So, but even but. McGregor by um, decision is plus five hundred. That's not bad either. Yeah, I don't think it's gonna go decision. I I just, I just don't see it happening. I, I would not take McGregor by decision. No. The longer that fight goes, in my opinion, that's not working towards Connor's strength. Yeah, I don't but, see him winning the decision. He'd have to he'd have to dominate the first three rounds and then skate by. I think on the third, the fourth, and the fifth, on the fourth and fifth. I mean. Yeah, I don't, I don't see him winning the decision. <clears throat> I think Dustin, the way he, like the Dan Hooker fight, he plotted forward. He took away his weapons by getting inside the boxing range. Connor needs, Connor needs distance to execute all the things he does very well. He's not a very good inside boxer. I mean, maybe in boxing he is, but when it comes to MMA, there's just too many tools that people can use. So he's And he's not great in the clinch. If you look at the stuff that he did against Nate, Nate's not a great clincher either. And anybody People else are going to kill you on this. They're going to go back to Cowboy Cerrone and say, Josh Thompson, what is wrong with you? One you shoulder strike. One shoulder did strike. You changed not the see dynamic him in the, of the clinch fight. against Cowboy. I did. I did. One <laughs> shoulder strike does not make you a good clincher. And if I'm going to go, okay. if I'm going to say who's the better <laughs> clincher, who's the better boxer in close, close range, I'm going to say that it's Dustin Poirier. And I like, I look, here's the thing. I like both of them a lot. You know, I mean, I think they're both phenomenal fighters. That's the thing. Like, I don't, like, I know Dustin a little, like, as in terms of, like, I know him, I've talked to him. I, I mean, outside of us doing the show with Connor, I never really had talked to him before. You know, so otherwise, I mean, they both seem like, they both seem like, like, I've known Dustin in terms of, like, he's a very, he's a very humble, very nice young man. So Great. I like him a lot. Yeah. Anyways, Incredible. good stuff. D- uh, Dave, what else we got, bud? No, no, no. So, everyone, if you want to make these bets, go to mybookie.ag. We want you to go on there. You can sign in with the Weighing In Podcast as your hashtag to put you in a position to bet on the Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier matchup. You do that. You can go to all these different things. You can even do little parlays to the different fights because there is Gilbert Burns versus Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, that's a good fight. And you do have Mr. Shuey Ty against Greg Hardy in a heavyweight match. And that might end up with a big knockout. So you could always look at the parlays to make yourself more money if you don't want to put a lot of money out. But just go to mybookie.ag. Sign up, weighing in, and good luck to all of you. Use that promo code Wayne in. They'll give you a little extra cash as well for your first initial deposit. So make sure you guys do that. And, uh, hey, if you guys don't want to bet on the fights, they also offer everything else as well. So they offer the finals of the NBA are coming up. you got hockey coming up as well, the finals there. got a lot of things no, going on. Over. Oh, it's over Say already. Goodbye. God, I was gone all week. <laughs> yeah, Tampa, Tampa Bay's up 3 nothing. Oh, are they? Damn. Oh, yeah, Damn. There's, the entire country of Canada is crying. Sorry, <laughs> well, they haven't won the championship forever, man. Oh, I, well, you know, and it, I mean, hockey is so huge. If, if you've never been to Canada, people, hockey is on the TVs. I don't care what time of year it is. When hockey is off season, they're still showing hockey. They are crazy. That is their game. They just they own it now. And the fact that their their halves are down three nothing is not making them happy. Yeah. I guess this will, this will be the first back to back. This will be the first back to back since uh, Crosby with the with the yeah. the Penguins, Penguin. right? I believe I was probably in what two thousand eight, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I think is when it was. Maybe it was two thousand twelve. I can't remember. Sometime around that era is when the the Pittsburgh Penguins had went back to back. 
All right. Well, hey, uh, let's uh, give us something else there, podcast, Dave. All right. So we're going to hop into some news. And the first piece being um, Alexander Gustafsson returning at UFC London against Paul Craig. Oh, I love I love Paul Craig. I think he's fun. But Alexander Gustafsson is that's a hard matchup. For Mr. Craig, that's a that's a big step up as far as Paul Craig might be. You know, looking at I can Imanari roll, I can do, I can I can jump guard. Man, Alexander Gustafson in the stand up is good. He's very difficult to take down. He's got good wrestling. Uh, that is not an easy fight for Paul Craig. That is not going to be one that's going to uh, be a quick submission. I don't believe. Paul Craig gets on top of him and subs him. Whoa! Look yeah. at you, Paul Craig's in it. He's been like I, this goes back to the Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier situation when Conor came back. He's been inactive. Gus has been inactive, and he fought at heavyweight when he came back, correct? And then now he is yes, now. Sir. This is going to be at two hundred five, believe. Yep. Yeah. It has to be. If it's yeah, it has to be if Paul Craig. Paul Craig's at two hundred five. I just think the inactivity, and he's also too. He hasn't had a. He hasn't had a win in a while. You know, yeah, and so okay, you and I are going to bet on. <clears throat> You know, I just I think the inactivity is going to be no, a factor. No, 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 I don't think his confidence is going <laughs> to. I don't think his confidence is back. I don't think his confidence is there. And so, um, I love I love I love watching Gus fight. And I think you are right, a hundred percent. You're right. He's got amazing stand up. Um, but if you go back and I know it's John Joe's I'm talking about, but when people get on top of him, he's not always the same fighter. You know, and uh, I agree with you. Putting you the heavy good. pressure, but Paul Craig likes to pull guard, which scares me a little bit. Of, you know, in those terms, but he's damn good on the ground, you know, and I yeah. think, I think he'll be, I think he'll be stronger than, um, than Gus. I don't know if he'll be able to take Gus down though. Like I, I agree with you. He may have to like pull him down. He may have to try to like drop to a leg or something like that to get him in there. I mean, I don't know how he's going to eat a lot of shots and Gus is the type of guy that he's, he's not stupid. He knows I'll just back out of your guard, get back up to your feet. He's not going to try to jump in there and play the guard game at all with him. So we're gonna, I mean, it, it, it does make for an interesting fight, but uh, but I like the fact, I like what I've seen out of Paul Craig lately, and those long limbs, man, those long limbs of Gus, it, may, it makes it a little easier for Paul Craig to hit the attacks. It's so weird. He's got kind of a really basic game, but he's very strong in yeah, that. He's, and He's good at pulling it in, and, we, and he hits it at the right time. Yeah, it's very true. So. Very true. I mean, we just saw what he did to his last opponent. You know, I know that last opponent is not Gus. I get that. I know he's not the same level as Gus. But, I mean, Gus is also getting a little bit older. Gus has been inactive. And, like, you see these fighters somewhat kind of do a one foot in, one foot out, thinking they're going to come back. And this ain't, this, ain't the, this ain't the sport to do that with. You want to do that That's shit, true. go to baseball, man. I agree with you there. <laughs> go to baseball. Go go go, to go basketball. Oh, I kind of want to come back. Baseball been very, very good to me. Yeah. I mean, but it makes for an interesting fight. But I, I think Paul Gray gets him. Just my opinion. Wow. I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm saying Gus gets it. Paul's just not good enough. His stand-up's not good enough. He's It's a it's a glaring, you know, weakness in his game overall. Not that, you know, it's not it's horrible, but it's not like <laughs> Gus. It's horrible. It's, a, it's not horrible, but it's kind of horrible. Well, okay, <laughs> I, I, I'm almost – here's my, here's my, you know – equation and i think that paul's more dynamic dynamic actually on the ground as far as the way he hits submissions but he's he's basically like watching jake yeah exactly you know? exactly you know well jake was good exactly on top 
Jake wasn't that oh. great off of his back. He had a good arm and guillotine and a hook sweep to get himself on top. You know, Paul Craig likes to yeah, hang in that butterfly guard or that full guard. I don't, that's I don't, exactly where I would say. I would say that Paul actually on his back is better than Jake. Yes, he is. Jake on top is better than Paul. Yes. You know, but stand-up-wise, they're very similar in that you go, you're cringing at times going, oh, get that fight to the ground. You know, and it's not that they had both guys have gone with guys. You've watched them and you go, man, he went five rounds with so-and-so or he went three rounds with so-and-so in the stand. You know, he was standing up a lot of it. Yeah. But it's you know you just have I don't I don't have confidence when he's on his feet. I have a lot of confidence when he's on his ground, when he's on the you know on the ground, either even on his back or on top. But I just look and Gus is so good and so slick with the way he uses his stand up. I just hard in my opinion, Paul's going to be having to dive on the ground for things, and that's usually not a good way of winning a fight. Yeah, that's true because then also like you have to remember Gus is not going to get tired. He doesn't slow down. Like he's even when he fought a heavyweight, he kind of slowed down a tiny bit because it was the weight. I believe the weight just carrying the weight. But he, he's not going to get tired. Like he, he's someone that fights. He fights a very smart fight majority of the time. Um, I think Paul Craig's gonna have a hard time getting him down. But if he does, I think if he can make Gus fight from his back or from the uh, carrying his weight for one round, that will slow Gus down and the takedowns will get a little easier he, you know, as they go. For look, I, I, I love Gus. But I think really what it comes down to is, to me, it's the biggest thing is the inactivity. Being inactive, and then you, you fought a heavyweight, and now you're going out of 205, so probably you're in better shape, or you're just going to, your performance and your time and everything will be better. But you've been, you've been inactive. There's nothing I can, I can't, you can't supplement that. That's the problem. Like, yeah. you know, we saw that in the Connor and Dustin fight, in their last fight. So I think there's the potential of us seeing this again. So what else you got, Dave? Next piece of news. Uh, Robert Whitaker admitting that trash talk from Israel uh, got in his head and uh, he was very emotional the last fight. Um, he was on some radio show, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and he said, he, he told that they brought up Israel and obviously the rematch, um, and he said, let's not talk about Israel. Um, he's he's a shit person. Um, <laughs> a piece of shit is too rough, too harsh. He's a shithead. Um, I don't like him. He doesn't like me. Two cats from two different two different paths that don't get along and he continued um <clears throat> the last fight was kind of very emotional i was in a bad place for the sport itself for my career i got emotional in that fight because i don't like him very much on top of everything else that was going on i lost my cool i was uh, i wasn't really feeling like i should fight like i normally fight props to him he got in my head i think he's a shithead <laughs> so just kind of that and then like you know with the re- with the rematch you know are you are you and- getting this shithead theme yeah a little bit, I mean, <laughs> a little bit here. yeah i love it I, I think this goes to we've talked about this john you've seen it i'm sure inside so the cage refereeing refereeing fights you see it like fighters don't fight well when they're angry like there's this misconception Ooh. that like oh i want to get mad like you hear guys at the bar all the time oh when i get mad man i just see red and just people just get hurt yeah, i'm like good. i'm like you, all right, you buddy. see red and then you see nothing yeah yeah like that red independence day shirt you got on <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Beautiful, buddy. ProWrestlingTees.com slash Wayne and use the promo code and still <laughs> real quick on that. Just want to let you guys know where to get one. Uh, available only today, by the way. Uh, it shuts out in last day. Yep, last day today. Um, yeah, just you, you can't fight mad. Just I've, I've fought mad a couple of times with some of my worst performances. They're the and other fighters, I've seen other fighters get upset and get angry. You see, you, you see it um, when fighters are, have to fight people from their same camp 
you know, sometimes they get angry that, that situation. I would say John Jones, Rashad Evans, like Rashad didn't look didn't look great. No. Don't get me wrong, John's amazing, but um, Rashad didn't look good, you know, in that fight. Uh, it's when there's animosity, there's anger, there's people getting each other's heads. It, it just you don't fight, you don't fight right, you don't fight smart, you don't fight right. You're not the same fighter, so I could see that happening. But what's he gonna do to combat it? That's the problem. Like, no, he, you all he talked about, is he keeps hating it. He doesn't like it. He's a perfect, shithead. Your perfect example is now. Here, the one thing I will say that was different: Conor McGregor against Dustin Poirier the first time. Conor absolutely got into Dustin's head. Just he was he was renting space in there. He was living for twenty four hours a day in there for a while. It got to Dustin to the point where Dustin wanted to kill him he wanted to hurt him bad and that usually leads to you not doing well in a fight because your emotions cannot be part of the fight game your brain being smart you being relaxed you being calm and thinking allows you to be effective in a fight so second fight Connor didn't pull the same stuff and was not even trying to really get into Dustin's head much he was kind of being nice to him and he, you didn't have that same effect. And you saw Dustin going in there just to be a workmanlike effort and look at what occurs. He didn't take those you know, chances of trying to go after someone when there was no reason to at that time. He did you know, things that were smart. He, when, he get, when he got hit, he backed off, did all the things that we look at smart fighting being. And so when you're angry and someone hits you, you want to hit them back right away. And I, I honestly think, you know, you go and you look at whew, Robert Whitaker had a fight against uh, Derek Brunson. You go and you watch that and you watch how out of control Derek Brunson was in that fight. And it was like, what are you doing? And it was almost like he was fighting angry. He was trying to hurt Robert Whitaker. And Robert Whitaker was, would just step back and, and you know, land his shots. No, you know, no emotion at all. And there shouldn't be that emotion. You should just be nice and relaxed. And I thought in his fight with Israel, he was trying to load up and knock Israel out with big one-punch shots, and he was getting tagged because of it because that's what Izzy can do. He's that good with his counter-striking, and you load up, he's going to see it, and he's going to hurt you, and that's what happened. So if Robert Whitaker goes back into a rematch and puts all the emotion to the side and says, no, I'm just going to fight my game, you fight your game, I'll fight my game. We'll see what happens. I'm not going to let you get in my head. I'll touch you when I can touch you. And if it hurts you, you're going to see a smile on my face. And if it doesn't, then I'm going to hit you again till it does hurt you. And that's the way to look at it. I think he's right. I do think that he, he allowed Israel to get in his head. And when that happens, usually, not always, but usually, you're going to come out on the short end of that, that, that stick. So I think it's... It's good that he's able to actually look at it and be honest with it and say, "Yep, he did." Yeah, but he's got to be able to make. Him. He's got to make the adjustments. That's the thing. Will he start going sure. back to that once he starts getting touched a little bit from range? You know, that's the thing. People people get frustrated with Izzy not so much because I mean, sure he does talk some shit, you know, but that's the fight game. <laughs> they, yeah, they, that's the fight game it. though. They will talk shit, and you have to learn to just block all that out. What you what's hard to deal with is when. You try to get in on someone who's long and lanky. I know everyone in the comments love when I say that. But when he's long and lanky and you can't reach him, and Whitaker having a hard time getting to him, trying to touch him, then now you start throwing haymakers. What you saw with the Marvin Vittori fight is classic. 
like Izzy style, right? Let me let me hit you, let me touch you, make you reach, let me lunge in, all those things. That's what Izzy does best. You know, and John did it for the longest time. John Jones did it as well for the longest time. Connor as well. Making people lunge in and try to get to them. And all you're doing is opening yourself up, whether it's to the push kick, whether it's to the, the front thigh kick from John, like things like that. And the long jab, those are the things that are super effective. And all that does is build up frustration and makes you fight even harder, wants you to fight harder. And as you fight harder, guess what? It's like a sand, it's like a sand, was it quicksand? You just start sinking lower and lower and lower, and there's nothing you can do the harder you fight. And that's kind of a position that I felt like Whitaker was in last time. But he started off mad. You may not start off mad this time, but by the second round, if you're not touching him, you start to get frustrated. And we've seen that with Marvin Vittori, Paulo Costa, those guys. They have a hard time getting to him because they can't reach him. And when they can't reach him, it gets frustrating. And then that's what builds up. It starts building up from there. And then as that goes on, Izzy starts going, I got you, bitch. I got you. And then that's even more frustrating. Like, ah, you missed me. Or, oh, I got you. All right. And like, it gets frustrating. And then more stuff adds up. And it's just like I said, like quicksand. But we'll see how he makes the adjustments. I really like Robert Whitaker as a fighter. He seems like a wonderful person. I don't know anything about Izzy. So other than the fact that he's a great fighter, um, I don't really read like a lot of the, uh, I don't really read a lot of articles you know, in terms of when they start talking shit. I don't to think each you other. really read. Yeah, I don't do math either. I don't do math either. So, uh, but I think I'm looking forward to it. I think it's gonna be a great fight. It should be. I think it'll be better than the first one. Uh, what else, Dave? Um, all right. Next, uh, two two pieces kind of merging together. So, um, earlier in the week, the Sarah Alper, who is a UFC 125er, came out and basically saying that she couldn't afford to get through fight camp she was asking for donations and then um jake paul came out and, and this was his comment was um shaking my head imagine a rookie in the nba had to start a gofundme to play i let sarah know she has my support and contribution it's my honor and privilege to help a fellow fighter in any way i can so uh, jake paul goes and donates five thousand dollars and then someone else goes and donates $25,000. So just that kind of, you know, Jake Paul continuing to make that point about um, the UFC underpaying fighters. And then Chael Sonnen comes out and basically defends fighter pay um, by talking about his first, uh, you know, paycheck in the UFC was $2,000 to show in 2000 to win in 2005. Um, and he says, you know, the minimum pay right now is twelve thousand um, dollars, and you know, for any, you know, I want somebody to show me any company that's that's increased pay by six times in uh, in, in the last fifteen years, um, since fifteen years ago when he, you know, was paid two thousand and one to show two thousand and one. So, Chilson on the defensive side for fighter pay, uh, Jake Paul obviously on the offensive side, um, and then this whole Sarah Alper situation itself with the uh, asking for help to get through fight camp. Well, I talked about this whole thing the last time with Sarah Alper. So, Josh, talk to me about this situation with Sarah. I thought it was nothing wrong with her put, making a GoFundMe page. I thought it was smart. I talked about, look, if, you know, you all you people out there talking about this for, uh, oh, fighter pay, well, here's your chance to help with a fighter and help them get to that next level, hopefully, and stuff. So, I think, hey, Jake Paul, way to go for giving her $5,000. But let me hear what you have to say, Mr. Josh Thompson, since you've been in this situation, you know what it's like to be that fighter that has gets. Hold it, you were getting how much money when you started? Because I think you were fighting in the UFC about that time that 
poor Chael was making 2000 and 2000. Chael was uh, after me, like five years after me. Oh, I, know that. <laughs> I was making two and two. <laughs> I made 2000 and 2000 for my first fight in the UFC. I actually made 2000 and 2000 to fight in the WFA against Rob McCullough. So I, I had that fight, and then I made two and two to fight in the UFC. I made four, four and four. It was four and four. And then I was supposed to make eight and eight to, to fight Eves Edwards when I lost. So, um, look, I don't know the full. I don't know the full situation. Is she married? Does she have kids? Um, is she single? Is she where does she live? Um, like all those things play a factor. Look, I lived in the Bay Area making two and two, which wasn't a lot. And I also had a I also had a full time job. Um, so I was doing that to help myself get by to train. So I would you know I'd go to work at five a.m. Get done by two thirty. Get to get to AKA after some food and, you know, and some shower and get to the gym. And I'd be there at like, say, four thirty, five o'clock. And I'd be there all day. You know, I'd be there all night, I should say, the rest of the night until about 9, 9.30 at night. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't afford a lot. I mean, that's really what it was. And, but, I, I, look, the times have changed. Like, the, the level of competition has changed, you know. And, um, but a lot of it has to do with money management. And I'm not saying, that's why I say, I don't know her situation, I don't know if she's making, if you're entering into the UFC now making 12 and 12, like Chael had said, you know, I don't know what the fighters are making right now. I believe it is that 10 and 10 or 12 and 12. It's around that range, I think, for your first fight. But is it the same for females? That's what I don't know. You know, is that, is that what it is for males? Is it the same for females? Are we, is it even on the, on the, the male, female pay? I don't know that. So I'll have to look into that, to be honest. I think it depends <clears throat> upon certain fighters and what they're bringing. One's coming off of. No, no, I'm talking about what entry level. Entry level, what, yeah, what is and, the entry and, level? And you got ones coming in off of the tough show. There, there's a specific contract for that. You got ones coming in off of the Dana White series, which she came in off of. There's a specific scale for that. This is, people need to understand, you know, you're, you're taking that fight in something like the Contender Series, knowing if you sign that contract because you want to go to the UFC, this is what you're making right now, and, and that's your choice. You don't have, no one forces you to sign that contract. No one forces you. But what do you think about what Chael is saying? Well, look, I, like, I'm going to go back to what you just said. No one's forcing you to sign that contract. John, you and I have been called all these names, you know, throughout our show because you think we're, we're bagging on the UFC, and I'm not bagging on the UFC. My point is to, what's your name, Sarah? Yep. Yeah, my point to Sarah is I know you wanted to be in the UFC, and like you said, you came off the Contender Series, you know, John said. Uh, you knew the contract that you signed. You knew what you were getting yourself into. Maybe you, I don't, I, I haven't seen you fight. I'm sure you're phenomenal. You made it to the UFC. You're in the show. You're under contract, but you're under that contender series contract. And I can tell you from the experience of listening to the guys that I, I, I know that were all on the ultimate fighter contract, it was shit. And so I can't imagine your contract is much better. You know what I mean? Like it was re- like some of the guys didn't get paid unless they, unless they fought when they were on that eight weeks. So that's why like Kostik is like, no, I'm fighting every week. So as he made $5,000 a fight. So he's like, no, I'm fighting every week. Everyone's like, Hey, do you, who do you want to fight? He's like, I'm going to fight whoever. Cause Kostik always wanted to fight because he wanted the money. And so with her, I don't understand. I don't know the situation. Is she married? Does she have kids? That, that, that takes up your paycheck a lot, no. you know? And if she's not, if she's not those things, Okay, where does she live? Does she live in Does she live in L.A.? Does she live in the Bay Area? Does she live in Manhattan? Does she live in areas that are fucking super expensive? Because if she does, maybe start thinking about relocating to a place that's not expensive, like American Top Team or fuck, I don't know, some place where like you know you're in Florida. Go to go to Sanford MMA. 
Like there's no, there's no taxes there. It's whatever, you know, you're saving a little bit of money here and there. I mean, and you have good camps there. You have plenty of females that are there. You know, like you've got areas that there's a lot of good fighters in that are cheaper to live in. Just, it's all about money management. And I, look, I'm not going to knock her in the terms of what she needs to do to get, to get money. Go fund me. Have at it. I, I have no, I, that's not, I thought it was a, I think it's a brilliant idea. If, if someone wants to willing to help her, that's what that's for. Set up a GoFundMe page and someone wants to donate money to her. Have at it, man. I, I, but at the end of the day, you made the choice to sign that contract. And so when you did, and I get it, people were like, oh, you should be paying more. She knew what she was getting herself into. And I'm not trying to take Chael's side. I'm not. Chael, he's, he's got a point a little bit too. He can be right and be a shill at the same time. I love me, <laughs> I love me some Chael. I love me some Chael. But uh, the, it's true though. I mean, she's got to learn how to manage her money. And if people want to donate, cool. Um, but in terms of what the what the UFC has done in terms of increasing pay, they've done a good job based off of the, their profit margins. But could they be paying more? Absolutely. Come on, we're not we're not, not going to sit here and say they couldn't. But I'm also not going to bag on them because these fighters know what they're getting themselves in. They signed the contract. You knew that's what you wanted. That you knew that's what you were going to make. If you didn't like it, I always run back to you. Didn't have to go there. Everyone's so adamant about, like, I'm going to be in the UFC. I'm going to prove myself so I can get there. That's great. I love that idea. I think it's wonderful. If you guys want to do that, great. But why don't you do it on the lower shows where they're paying you pretty much, like, a, about the same, you know? Or get onto another show. Like, go into the PFL or go into Bellator or go into, into One or Ryzen or whatever and make some money there. And, look, and those guys and females sometimes will end up. Watanabe was over in Japan. She's now with us, you know, in Bellator. Um, God, what's uh, what's his, the kid name from uh, Mike Swift's uh, Cape? Uh, God, oh. Man, uh, something Cape. He, he he fought he fought in Ryzen. He was yeah, successful it there. Bono. Starts with an M. Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so he fought. He won. I think he won, or he was in the finals. I think he was. In the, I think he won the the tournament in Ryzen. Then he then he went from there. He went to the UFC. Like, it, it's like, if you're winning, like I've said this a thousand times, winning solves everything. If you win in all the organizations you go to, the UFC will want you. Don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like when young fighters are so adamant they have to go to the UFC and they sign those horrible contracts for a long duration of time and they have no but money, the, John. But it's the same, you know, it's Manel Cape. Manel Cape, there you go. Manel Cape. It comes down, it's no different than a kid leaving high school to play football, going to college. You want to get to that next step, and, and fighters are looking and saying, this is what's going to make me. If I make it to the UFC, they're not looking at the finances. They're not looking at where they're going to make more money. They're looking at where they want to be, and, and that's understandable. It's totally understandable, and... You know, as you say, love me some Chael, you know, and Chael, uh, he's right about they've increased their money. They have. And and I talked about this when I was uh, last week with Sarah, I was talking about, look, let's just be as honest as we can be. Nobody at this time besides, you know, people that are friends of Sarah and her family are going to pay to watch sarah alper fight she's gonna have to prove herself she's gonna have to move herself up in those standings and in that ability of the rankings to where people are now saying oh she's got an opportunity 
to fight so-and-so, and that can move her in towards championship status or top 10 status. That's when people are talking about you. That's when the UFC will start to pay you more money. There's no reason for them to look and say, oh, we're going to pay you a bunch of money because you're not, you aren't doing anything for them right now. They are actually doing it for you. They're giving you the platform for you to perform, perform well, and make people now interested in who you are and what you do and how you fight. And that's, in a lot of ways, I'm going to say it's invaluable. So they are giving you something. Yes, they're not giving you a lot of money. You've got to work towards getting that money. Now, like you said, the whole point, you know, I I said, look, if she gets a thousand people to give her $5, that's $5,000. That's a month easy, you know, probably two at $30,000, you know, that we know that she got, that's at least six months that you can train, train hard, work towards your next fight, put on an incredible performance and now move yourself up to where the UFC is going to want to pay you more money. But again, you're the one that came in on that Dana White contender series. You're the one that decided I'm going to sign this contract. Don't, you know, people can't complain. Once you put, I, I've always said, don't sit there and complain about a contract that you signed. You signed it. No one forced you. They didn't put a gun to your head, fight out the contract and then find out how much you're worth. I, I don't, I don't agree when people sign a contract and then say, I'm not, I'm not going to finish this. You're the one that signed it. Yeah, I don't. No one forced. That you. wasn't her argument, though, John. Right? Her argument was she just needs money to get to the fight. No, no, no. That was not her argument at all. But a lot of people, when they get into, you know, I'm not, you know, I I should be making more. Yeah, we all should. How's that? <laughs> yeah. No, I um, I I just I want people to I want people to understand the younger fighters to understand the UFC is not going anywhere. They're gonna be there. Don't waste your younger years. Like, don't waste those younger years trying to get there super fast. When you get there and you flop out, you're not going to get the money you deserve then either. So you're going to leave the UFC saying, oh, you went there. But it wasn't a good run. So why rush it along? Fight in the smaller shows or fight in in other promotions that you feel uh, will help get you there. But the bottom line is, yeah, you just got to fight. You just keep winning. Look at Yuri Prochiska. Look at what he did. There's your perfect example. Here's a guy, he could have gone to the UFC, said, nope, not going to do it yet. I don't think I'm ready for that. I can make, I can fight over here. I can get more experience. I can make money. That's what we're talking about. Sometimes, you know, you've got to take a look and say, that is my end goal, but I'm not going to make this giant jump to get there and not do the things that I want to do. Let me be smarter in the way I get to that final goal. So, you know, I'm not saying that, Sarah's wrong. I'm not saying anybody's wrong. They want to go, go, but take a look at everything. I just wonder, and this is also the thing that I wonder though, uh, Jake Paul is just doing what Jake Paul should be doing is he's just well, he's, bringing more attention to himself. To Dana, let's yeah. Be he's sticking it to Dana, but he's bringing more attention to himself, which gives him more followers, just makes him more money. Brilliant idea. Yep. I'm not going to discredit what he's doing. I, I, even if I don't like Poodle Hair Pony, I don't like him, but I, I don't have anything against him. It's just, I like to say that because I know it gets to, his base riled up. Um, but with her, I just hope the UFC doesn't hold us against her. You know, because we do know that there's been some grudges that have happened throughout the sport over the years. You know, but like, well, I, I even though I'm, people are going to say I'm, I'm, I'm not talking bad about them. The UFC does a lot of great stuff. The UFC Institute, the Performance Institute is 
on hand for all the fighters to use. Brilliant idea. I think it's wonderful. Also, too, anytime there's something that's really wrong with one of their athletes, if you call up Dana, you call up someone there, say, hey, I need help with this. You know, I need somebody like maybe a specialist or someone to see me. They provide, you guys, let's not forget, they provide that insurance. That insurance covers you while you're training for any big, large injuries. 1500 bucks, I believe, is what it was when I was there. It was $1,500, and it covered any surgery I needed. I had two surgeries during that time. It goes up to 50000 right? I believe so. None of my surgeries were that much. It was like 30, 50, 30 to 40000 but still, regardless, I mean, I had backup insurance as well that I paid for. And you talk about that PI. It's not only the training. They will actually feed you in the morning and lunch. That's incredible. You're going to have to figure out how to get your own dinner. But when I was you know, walking through there, they would actually feed the fighters. The fighters didn't have to pay for it. That's, that's phenomenal. Pretty See, good. that's like you're, you're cutting a lot of your expense there. I think that's why a lot of people are moving to Vegas now, especially the Absolutely. ones that live in the, the ones that fight in the UFC. I, I know the AKA was talking about opening a gym there because it makes it easier for all the fighters to just go ahead and live at the Performance Institute, you know, and start basically like train there or eat there or do whatever it is, you know, and have the recovery sessions there, all that stuff. So um, who knows, man? I just, uh, look, I'm not taking her side, but I, I'm happy for her that she was able to get some money, I'm, you know, um, but she did sign the contract. Uh, I do, I don't think she did anything wrong. I hope the UFC doesn't hold it against her. I think Chael has a very valid point in terms of fighter pay has gone up a lot, you know, um, since since him and I have been doing it. But, uh, and there there could be some room though. I think there is some room for some some gains. They said like it's what? They're getting 16% of the pie. Is that, am I correct? 16 to 70%, 7, 17%? 17, 18, yeah. somewhere. I feel like you got to get it up to the 20 to 20%, somewhere in there. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I everyone's agree. like, oh, it should be 50. Look, no. let's slow it down right now, okay? Like, I'm all for fighter pay, and I want the fighters to have the best, but you got to gradually do this, you know? And it's not as if the UFC doesn't provide a ton of other things for their athletes. They do. It just sucks that they're all in Vegas, you know, for the people that don't train there. But it's it's kind of smart though. It's there's no income tax there. People can fight there, train there, and not not have to pay their state income tax. So I think it's a, a good idea for a lot of these athletes to if they are going to move, you know, or go to Florida where Sanford MMA is, or American Top Team, or whatever. But there's plenty of gyms, top gyms that are out there that are phenomenal, you know. So hopefully, uh, I don't know how she's going to make some changes, but to keep some money in her pocket. All right. So now we want to talk about we have a new sponsor, and I love what they do. This is called Fume, and it is the best way there is to quit smoking and vaping naturally. Now, I know that, you know, there's a lot of people out there, they like to smoke, they like like to vape, but we all know it's not good for you. So, Fume has the ability, it's pretty simple, it's a handcrafted, kind of cool, little, you know, no electronics, nothing that you light, no chemicals, no nicotine. Instead, they use these infused cores. You take the core, you kind of pull it apart, then you stick it in here, and you take a nice, easy pull. It's got a nice flavor to it, nice feeling, and it has no effect. It's essential oils. That's what's important. If you want to get started, you need to head over to www.breathefume.com slash weighing in. Now, make sure when you're saying breathe fume, Breathe has got not only an H, it's got an E on the end, and the fume does not have that E. E, it's just F-U-M, and you will get 10% off on this incredible product. It will help you quit your smoking. It will help you quit if you are vaping, and it's also good for other parts of 
just healthy living. It's an essential oil. It does nothing bad for you. I can tell you right now, I have asthma. I don't smoke anything. I've never put anything. I hate putting things in my lungs. I love this thing. To me, it's almost like I can use it like gum. It makes it makes you feel like you get this nice aroma inside of your sinuses and everything. It's fantastic. Josh, I know you like it. Talk to me about what you think about fume. Well, the reason why I like it, John, you know, is I have nasal problems from being punched in the face for so <laughs> Everyone many years. Everyone knows you have nasal problems. So I have nasal problems, and I got I have cauliflower in one of my nostrils, and I've got a deviated septum in the other. But it also helps with, like, the drip. I have, like, a drip in the back of my throat just because of my nasal cavities are tore up. So um, this has actually helped quite a bit, and it's, it's, it's making it a little easier for me to breathe. Also, like you said... I really like the idea of it has the peppermint smell, peppermint taste, clears everything out. It's almost like a like a vapor rub on your chest, but without that. Yeah. That's the thing. I like that feeling. I like to feel like my 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 nasal cavity is clean and clear for me to breathe because that's very rare for me, you know, to have. To be honest, it's been that way for years. So it's real quick. It's easy. Like you said, there's no harm, no foul. Like if your kid, you know, if your kids pick it up, it's like you're not stressing about whether they're going to smoke it or not. It's, there's no smoke. There's no fumes. It's just it's like you said, essential oils. You put a little filter in the in the front of it. You just hit on it every once in a while, you know, as you feel like you need it. Um, I have a little bit of a cough, you know, obviously from that cough, from my nasal cavity and the drip. So I, my back of my throat tickles a little bit. This one, I am actively using it. It helps quite a bit. And so those are little benefits that I think from a fighter's perspective, you know, that you might want to use, might want to use it for. Um, you know, anybody else that drinks a ton of coffee, I've also noticed that it kind of will help with that too, that scratchy uh, throat that you get from coffee. I've taken it after that and used the, used the fume after that. And it also actually helped with that as well. So there's a lot of little things that I've noticed that from me, um, that it benefits me. John, on the other hand, I mean, like, you know, like he said, he loves it. He likes it. And, uh, anything to help, you know, clear the passageways for that big snoz. I'd love it. <laughs> hey, anything that helps me breathe easy. I'm all for it. And all I can say is, look, it's, it's not only for quitting smoking. It's also, they have different flavors. They have peppermint, they have invigorate, they have lemon berry, they have bubbly lime. They got all these different flavors, and every one of them I've tried, a little bit different, and I really like them all. And the best part, you want to take it on the plane. If you're a smoker, you can take it on the plane. You can do it on the plane. No one's going to say anything because it's not smoking and it's not vaping. There's nothing more here than the air that you're breathing. It's an awesome, awesome product. Everyone, go try it. You're going to like it. All right, so you guys are ready to get into some fine questions? Absolutely. That's uh, what we right. do. So first one um, is actually not on the screen, so um, John, you're not seeing it. But the first question comes from Jack Pallet, who wants to know, do you guys think they should try and make Nate versus Tony at 170? Uh, I don't think Nate would take that fight. I don't think he I don't exactly missed my point. No. I, it really is a mute. Call. It's a. It's a. Is it, is it moot or mute? Mute. Moot. Mute. Moot point. Okay. Moot point. I think that was mute. Moot. Moot point. Um. Regardless, I don't think it's gonna happen. Okay. Nate's not taking that fight. There's no. There's. It's not a big cash fight for him, in terms of the people he can fight. He's gonna sit around. He's gonna see if if Connor loses. He's going to say, hey, why don't we fight? <laughs> if Connor wins, he's going to say, hey, why don't we fight? <laughs> that's, there you go. That's what's going to happen. So. I think that's where I think that's where it's going to end up. Just to be honest, so. yeah, I really don't. I I agree with Josh. I'm sure Tony would take that fight. 
I don't think Nate would take it because he doesn't see anything that's going to help him in any way fighting Tony. He, he looks for that, you know, that fight that interests him that he thinks can do something for him. And the real, like, the real fight that's sitting out there for him, you know, he, he already got into with Kamaru Usman a little bit, and Usman's already saying, you know, I'll fight. Well, they're not going to put Nate right now. Even though, look, Nate puts butts in seats. This is what we're talking about with a fighter that people want to see, but they're not going to, they can't put a guy that's on a losing streak the way that Nate is into a championship fight. So that is not going to happen, but they can definitely put Nate against Connor again, especially if Connor doesn't win. They love taking two fighters coming, you know, into a you know scenario, both on losses because they know one's going to come away with a win. So that would be the fight that I would see them putting Nate into. And that's one that he would take. Yeah, I don't want to sound Nate. I, I don't want to sound negative. I like that fight though. I like the Tony oh, Ferguson yeah. and the Nate Diaz fight. I would love yeah. to see that fight. Style wise, it'd yeah. be a fun fight to it'd watch. It'd be an amazing fight. I just, yeah. it, I don't need, I don't think Nate would take it, and I think that's where the the buck would stop. That's it. You know. Yep. So, what else? Uh, next question from Joseph Pullen, and he asks, "How could, uh, how would Khabib do in welterweight? Would he stand a chance against the top of that weight class?" <laughs> <laughs> Here, let me just, let me make this clear. He would do fantastic. Now, could he keep his undefeated record? Maybe not. There could be someone that could give him problems. But you're talking about a guy that he, he walked around, what, 190 pounds? At times, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you know. A little bit higher. Sometimes 185, lower, 190, yeah. 195. He's a big guy anyway. So it's not that welterweight would be a class oh he could not go and fight take a look at someone like masvidal all right masvidal was a guy that was you know in the lightweights cutting a lot of weight was not as successful as habib and very successful up in the welterweights why because he's got talent he's got skills and those skills transfer gilbert burns being another one take a look at what he's doing he used to be in lightweights habib would do fantastic going up to welterweights. Would he be champion? There's a good possibility that he would. His fight against someone like Usman, you know, it would be interesting to see because could, you know, Usman stop the takedowns? Not many people were able to do that. And so, but Usman's got a lot of great wrestling ability and he's got power in his hands. So could he beat Habib? Yeah, he, he could, no doubt about it. He's the champ and he would have the ability to do that. But, in retrospect, 50-50, Habib would have the ability to beat him too. It would be a fantastic fight, one that I would love to see. If he went up to 170, he would still be fantastic. Doesn't mean that he couldn't lose, but he could lose to someone in lightweight too. You know, He's just an incredible fighter, and he was just getting better. That's the thing that people need to remember. Habib, was, Habib has left when he was still on the rise. He was still getting better. His skill sets were better. So, yes, he would have done fantastic. Without trying to sound biased. <laughs> Without trying to sound okay, biased. Okay, do not then. Do not sound biased. He, to me, his toughest fights are Usman, obviously, because he's the champ, but not only on top of that. But Usman's, had it, had it been the old Usman, I said it wouldn't have been close. I thought Khabib would have beat him. But the one that has sharpened up his jab, his punching, he's tightened everything up. He's got more confidence in it now. That's going to be a tough, a tough fight for for Khabib. Just plain and simple, because of the wrestling and now the boxing. There's not a lot of kicks from Usman, so not 
not worried about him being taken down off the kicks. But, man, can he box right now? He's staying long. He's got a beautiful jab. He's got some power on it. That would be a threat to him. And then Gilbert Burns. Because on the feet, I would I would say Gilbert's got a little bit of an edge over him. And everyone's like, oh, well, Khabib's stand-up sucks. It's not about how good Khabib's. No, Khabib it does st- not. Yeah, it does not suck. It's not about how good his stand-up is. It's about how dominant his wrestling is. That's the thing. Like, that people mistake the fact that he's so dominant in wrestling. His stand-up could be, he could have a lot more knockouts if he just wanted to throw a couple more shots. But if you look at the Connor fight, he hit him, knocked him, dropped him with the overhand right, went to follow up. Connor was able to scramble back up to his feet, you know, quickly. But regardless, he, he threatens those takedowns. With Gilbert Burns, he won't be able to threaten him as much. So he's going to be forced to stand a little bit more. Um, don't get me wrong. I think he's still got a great chance of dominating that top position against Gilbert Burns. But Gilbert Burns on the, on the ground is fucking nasty. And like, and I'm speaking from experience. This isn't like I'm just saying this because I'm a homer. I've seen him grapple with some of the best black belts in the world. Some of the best that have come in through our gym. And he's made them look like they're white belts. You know, so, and I believe Gilbert is the probably the best right now, I think, in the sport in, in, in grappling. You know, I mean, I put him up there with Charles Oliveira. It's him, Charles Oliveira. You've got, you know, and who else? I mean, those are the two so that I... Gary Tonin over yeah, in one. Yeah, in one. You got you got uh, Gordon Ryan's over there as well. Marcus Buchecha's over in one. All three of those uh, guys are over there. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, but, uh, you got those You got those. Uh, those guys are over there as well under contract with them. But I mean, but I think those are the two tough, toughest fights for him, those two guys. Um, I, don't, I think he... I think he's able to... I think he's able to... To get through Colby Covington, I think he's able to um, get through Stephen Thompson. I think Leon Edwards might pose a little bit of a threat only based on the speed. But once he gets him down, the fight's going to change. And every takedown will come easier. And he'll be able to to dominate that top position. So the speed will be a little bit of a factor. I I don't see anybody else in that that weight class that would give him a hard time. Usman is the man, though, right now. And and I said this after his last fight against George Masvidal. Against Masvidal. I am not going to ever vote against that fucking guy. I will never say that he can't fucking win again. He was so damn impressive, not just them, even the fight before that. He's just gotten so much better, and he's getting better. He's not, he hasn't even peaked yet, and that's what's great. He's on the rise. Yeah, he's on the rise. That's so, the point. But in terms of with Khabib, look, better. they're managed by the same guy. And then I think Usman's already came out, and I think Khabib also came out and said, like, I- I'm not going to go up to weight class to fight him. So I think if Usman was to retire, or not to retire, but if he was to lose the belt— and wasn't able to defend it right away. I could see maybe Khabib, if with mother's consent, to slide in like a GSP did and snatch a second title and then maybe just creep off into the sunset. I could see that, that potentially. not going to happen because the UFC would not let that happen. Again. I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> I think right now with Khabib, if, I'm saying Usman would have to lose, and that's the other problem. But I think that's what would happen. I think that's I think exactly what would the UFC would be foolish not to let him. GSP was so far removed. What was he removed for five years? Yeah. And he came back. So it wasn't the same. Like the same. Khabib is, what, a year and a half away? I mean, like, if, if, if it happened in the next year and a half or two years, I think that I think they would be foolish not to. He, his marketability between now and then will still be on the rise. You know, and then now, especially, like, with Islam making his run, he's got his, his younger cousins making a run, Umar Usman, and his other cousin, Abu Baka. They're all starting to kind of make their run. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, I mean, those are the guys that I would make it the hardest ones for him to fight. What else, Dave? 
Next question from Erso Moambeke. Um, question for Big John. Hope you can answer, but in a boxing rule set, when is a referee supposed to break a clinch? I really don't that much inside boxing these days. I don't understand that last <laughs> part, but that's what it says. Well, you're going to get what rules say and what different referees will do. Is That's your problem in boxing. The rule set says that if I am fighting Josh and Josh is gets into a clinch with me and grabs hold of my arm and is holding, that is illegal for Josh to do. But if I have a free hand and I am hitting Josh with that free hand, the referee should actually let it go while I am legally hitting Josh. Now, Josh cannot hit me with his free hand. He's holding with the one. He can try to hold with the other to get my ability to hit him stopped, which would make the referee come in and break them and separate them to get the fight going again. But if I have a free hand, the referee is supposed to allow me to legally hit Josh. We have a lot of referees. They don't do that. As soon as one guy starts to hold, they come in, stop, break, they put them apart, and they get the fight going again. You're going to get different. This is why different boxers like different referees. You know, Floyd Mayweather loved uh, Kenny Bayless. And Kenny is known as a guy that breaks fighters very quickly. Now, everything's about styles. And you'll get guys that will be in a position, they're fighting somebody who is technically just better as far as, you know, you take a look at Madonna. Madonna fought Mayweather. He's not technically as good as Mayweather, but he's tough and he's gritty and he's durable. But he needs to get inside to be able to be effective against Floyd. Well, if you have a referee who allows Floyd to hold with one hand and Madonna starts to hit and they come in and they break, they are actually benefiting Floyd Mayweather and they're hurting Madonna. You'll get a guy like Tony Weeks. I'm, I'm using guys that are in Vegas right now. Tony Weeks being a guy, he allows guys to actually work on the inside more. He will allow a guy to, with that free hand, start to you know hit legally against his opponent while his opponent's holding him. So it really just depends on the referee themselves. You know, there there's so many you know good boxing referees out there, but they all do things a little bit different. You know, Jack Reese in California, he allows guys to to work on the inside. It's beautiful to watch because, again, certain styles, that guy, his only way of winning is to be able to get inside and to hit while they're in that phone booth. And if he came in right away and separated him, you wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be good. You just saw Tom Taylor, who uh, just did the Javante Davis versus Mario Barrios fight, did a fantastic job throughout the fight in allowing different styles to work within certain spaces. That's what a referee's supposed to do. So it's supposed to be, and then I, I talked a lot, if the if the fighters come to a point where they are both holding, that is illegal. That's the time to get a break. If you have one fighter holding with one fighter being free to actually use it, but it is not, stop it and break them. But if they're using that ability with that free hand, you're supposed to let them go. Hope that answered the question. More question than it should have. 
<laughs> more than it should have. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> that was great. I love I love your breakdowns though. <clears throat> Next question from Double Dog Sports Fishing Team. Do you think John Jones fights one of the heavyweight top contenders between now and when Francis fights the winner of the interim title? Or will he only fight for the title? I think John Jones has one one person in his sights. I think he's got Francis Ngannou. I think that's what he's going to wait for. I think that's the fight that he he personally actually wants. I think it's the way he looks at making the most money. I think that's the fight that uh, makes the most sense to him. Look at he's he's coming into this situation a long time champion in the light heavyweight division. All right, if if Derek Lewis beats. Um, God damn, I can't even think of who he's fighting now. I'm, I'm screwing up. Cyril Gaon, okay, big deal. If John beats Derek, uh, is it is he the champion? No, Gano's the champion. If Cyril Gaon beats Derek and John goes and beats Cyril Gaon, is he the champion? No, Gano. He wants one person. He wants that title, and he wants Francis Ngano because he knows that's the big money fight for him. I think that's the fight that he's going to wait for, and he's already talked about, hey, this is going to take me time. This is this is not something you just jump right into. And I honestly believe, again, when it comes to fighting, the guy's smart, man. He's got a he's got a fight IQ. He understands. Hey, don't don't just think that you can just jump up and hold weight and and perform at that same level with all that extra weight just because you're bigger. No, your body takes time for you to understand how to use that weight, work with that weight. It's a different aspect. I think John's being smart, and I think he's going to wait for Francis. Um, okay, so we differ in opinions here. I think John okay. is smart as well. I think that's why he's waiting for Francis and Ghana to lose the title so he can fight somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I know. No, I, just, I, so. no I, I honestly believe, look, I think right now he's just dealing with the contract shit, and if he can't get the bump and pay that he's looking for, then he'll figure it out. He's fine with it. Apparently, he's fine with not fighting again. But I've heard that before from a lot of fighters, and they always come back. Um, but I, th- I think I think he's going to fight after Francis fights the winner of this fight. I don't think he's going to. Uh, I don't think there's any rush for him to come back. I think um, you know if if it if it ends up being um, Francis Ngannou, then it ends up being Francis Ngannou after that. But he, there's no way. I agree with you on the fact that he's no way he's going to fight Derek Lewis or Cyril Gaon for the interim title. He's not going to do that. He already knows he's next in line if he wants it. If he wanted to fight for that interim title, he could have got that. If he wanted to fight Francis Ngannou, he could have done that. It's the money situation. He wants more money or he wants this contract to be structured differently somehow, some way. Um, But I honestly believe, like you said, he is smart. But if he can slide in and win that title without having to fight Francis... I think he would. If it's the real title, not the interim title. If it's the real, the real title. Ti- yes, it's the real title. If Cyril Gaon wins or if Derek Lewis wins, he's not. A, he, he, I think he would oh, no, step right up and he fight. Would go, he, he wants would that title. That he, wants that, uh, that, he wants that title. And then they may, as soon as that happens, they'll probably give him Francis next and you know to make him fight Francis. Look, I think John beats Francis pretty easily if he can survive the first round and a half. I, th- I, think John can, I think John can beat him pretty easily. You know, um, How many... Just think about this, you know, and for everybody out there, I'm not saying that John hasn't been hit. Alexander Gustafson hit John flush multiple times. But how many times have you really seen John hit with big shots? He doesn't get hit that much. 
He does a great job of being in a position where he doesn't get hit. So Francis is going to have to hit him with a shot that a lot of people have not been able to hit him with. It's not that John is punch proof, but he does have a good chin. All right. He's been hit. He's proved that he can take a shot. And it's a question of, can you hit him? It takes a lot to hit him. He's good defensively. He's long. You know, the guys that have been able to hit him the most were long as well. You know, that's yep. the thing. Like, yeah, what? Gano is. Yeah. All right, what else, Scott? Next question comes from Knight Jammer Jr. What do you think of BKFC and the direction that it is going? I love it. <laughs> I, I absolutely love it, man. I, I mean, like, I love what they're doing. I just love the fact that they they just, they just have a niche right now. They've created – this This is the hardest thing for a promotion to do, is to create something, a platform or a niche that they want to fall into – and they've done that. They've taken all the other fighters that are just done with, with fighting in the biggest promotions, and they've gone there. And there's still a little bit of fight left in them, and they go ahead and they fight. I'm not mad at it. You know I mean? Like, they're not YouTube stars, so they can't be demanding all this money. But some of these fighters have a lot left in the tank, and they're paying them well. I'm not mad at it. I mean, they have skill. And the other thing is, well, the MMA fighters, they're just worried about one aspect of the sport now. They're not worried about the wrestling, the jiu-jitsu, and, but they can still clinch and grab and uppercut and do all the things that make it a dirty boxing-style fight. So they can still use their pummeling and all the other things that they need to to make it a fight so it makes it feel a little bit more like MMA. I'm not mad at them, man. I, I'm, uh, I'm supportive of them only because they, they are giving, the, uh, giving us old dogs like a place to go and still make decent money. And, uh, you know, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of big name value still in those fights. So I'm happy for, I'm happy for all the fighters that are there. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this. BKFC, yes, I like what they're doing. There are other ones out there I don't like what they're doing because there's more than one promotion out there, and some of them are not doing things the right way. They're not paying fighters. And so when you're asking for bare knuckle, uh, BKFC is by Dave Feldman. He's done a great job. He's really he's given a platform for people. It's a different style, and it's, you know, I just answered the thing on boxing. It's a different style for the officials in how they're supposed to officiate bare knuckle boxing. So it's, it's been actually a good thing for a lot of people to get that last little bit, you know, get the, the whole feeling of getting back in there and being able to fight one more time without the fear of someone taking them down and, you know, them not being able to get away from them. It's been good, you know, and it's been good, you know, take a look at what, you know, Paige Van Zandt, you know, she's done fantastic with it. Okay. Congratulations. You know, She's still young. She could go back to MMA if she wants. She could stay with the bare-knuckle boxing. Uh, it's just a different sport, and it's a different aspect for fighters to now come up in. Some of them are going to just stick with, I'm just going to be a bare-knuckle boxer because stylistically-wise, it works for me. It takes a lot of the athleticism out of boxing okay? because I can get in tight, I can clinch, I can hit, and I can dirty box. I can do things that I can't do in a normal boxing ring. So there's just a different element to it. Is it good? It's different. It's different. And to me, anything that allows fighters to have another platform is a good thing. So I'm 100% behind bare knuckle boxing. It, did her and Rachel Osovich fight last night? Uh, no, it's coming up. Is it coming up? It's coming up uh, near the end of July. The end of July. Okay. I saw them like face-to-face. Maybe it was just like a presser. Third or somewhere around there, something like that. Got it. 
What else, Dave? You may have saw the picture from the UFC. Um, <clears throat> Elias Alejandro asks, if Izzy were to lose his belt, either from a loss or a strict move to 205, do you think we'd see Usman make a run at middleweight at the middleweight title? I don't think so. Um, I think, like, what is he, 33, I think, right now? 32, 33, Usman? Maybe even older, 34, huh? Anyways, I think he's older. So, anyways, uh, no, I don't think so. That's, this is not the time to do it. Just stay where you're at. You're having a lot of success. Even if he was to lose, I don't think so. I think he's going to finish his career at 170. He's making a shit ton of money. Stay where you're at, buddy. There's no reason. There's no reason. Even if it was somebody, even, like, why he didn't want to fight Robert Whitaker. I mean... Those aren't easier fights. <laughs> it's not. Nope. You know, and even though he's tall, long, and lanky, he's not. He's he, not that tall. No, he's not. The, he's not a. He's not a big. He's not a big guy. He's definitely he's, not for a one eighty five. Yeah, he's not big. Like, yeah, he's he's good where he's at. I like watching him where he's at. He's he's been dominant. I think he just fights out the rest of his career there until until a young buck comes along and dethrones him. But I think he just makes a ton of money doing what he's doing. I think, and again, he can do what he wants. I could see where. Tomorrow would near the end of his career where he says, you know what? I want one more fight. I want, you know, two more fights at most. I could see him saying if Israel wasn't there. Yeah. I, w- I want to go uh, take on the champion of 185. Okay. I could see him doing that. And I don't have a problem with it. Other than that, I think he should stay right where he's at at welterweight. You know, he's in a position right now. He's, he's the man. He's the king of that division. It's a la a George St. Pierre. You know, there's a whole lot of things said all the time, you know, and a lot of it is just, it's media or it's hype. It's, you know, the UFC and, you know, it's, it's uh, commentators hyping their shows and that's what they're supposed to do. And I don't have a problem with it, but well, you know, they were saying, you know, Tyron Woodley, you know, is possibly the greatest welterweight fighter of all time. And I love Tyron. Okay. Not even close. Okay, just telling you, you know, to, to sit there and to match what Tyron did against what George St. Pierre did, it's like, come on. And it's very simple to see. He is not. It's not that he's not good. He was good, but he's not the best. When you're saying the best, there's nobody on top of you. And, I, and I'm telling you right now, Kamaru Usman is getting close to that being a reality. He is in that position where he has moved himself you know, in the position where he's getting into that upper atmosphere of he's not still in that position with George, but he's only got one loss. All right. He is 19 and one. He has basically cleared out most of the division and he could stay there and, you know, fight for another four, four years and get wins. He could be considered the best welterweight uh, fighter of all time. So he is getting into that that atmosphere in my opinion of being able to be called the very best yeah he, he's getting up there but he, he still has some ways to go i'd say at least i didn't in, say yeah. i said he's got a ways to I, go I'm not, but i'm not trying to criticize you yeah no, you're criticizing no, you're trying to no, say i said no. that he's up there already no. g- g- not the, up there already well, give it to getting... me give it give it to me in terms of like what <laughs> were we talking like four more fights are we talking five more fights what are we talking said, uh, you know, yeah absolutely if he had like five more fights he got into 24 and one and do they have yeah, to be dominant right do they have to be dominant wins or do they just have to be wins well, if you take a look, what were George's fights at the end dominant? No, no, that's what I'm asking. That's, that's, that's no, why they I weren't. Know. And so that's why you look and you go, he gets into five more wins. Yeah, he's getting, he's being put into that. You know, you could talk about who was better, 
George or Kamaru. Well, I mean, I think well, I think George would always have the the head the head up, be ahead of him because he's got the 185 pound title. Hold on, did I just not say the last fight or two of his career he could try for that title and he gets it? Now you're talking about yeah, he's right there. I think is he's quite a bit younger than him though, right? Is he's what 29? So then, if yeah, if Izzy doesn't lose for a while, I mean. But they're also saying if Izzy's not going to be in the 185s, they're saying Izzy. Oh, because they're both from Nigeria, they're saying, oh, they wouldn't fight. That's not, you know, that's a possibility. But um, I don't know. I think it would. How old is Izzy? 30? 31? Okay, 31. Yeah. So they're close. You know, Izzy's younger, obviously. But they, they were saying if Izzy went up, because I don't, I don't think that. Uh, Izzy and Kamara are going to fight. Yeah, I don't think so either. All right, Dave, what else? How many more? Two um, more? Uh, we have, um, I mean, how many more do you want to go? Uh, Joe, um, what, uh, give, give go. Us, let's go. Give us some more. All right. Joseph Ferreira asks, why are fighter meetings necessary for brand staff? After seeing Diego Sanchez fighter meeting, I don't see the point at all. <laughs> you go ahead. Brand staff. I I I don't know. He's understanding why 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 are we doing fighter meetings for fighters like like Diego Sanchez when we already know who they are? Well, because you want to know how their camp went. You want to know like are they are they battling any injuries? Do you want to know like they have a hard time making a weight cut? Do you, are, are is, how is their weight? You want to know um did they change coaches? You know like do they change camps? Where do they do half their camp? Do they do camp somewhere else? How do they feel? Um. Like what happened during their camp? Like family stuff, like stuff that we learn from the fighter. It yeah. comes more in depth. I don't want to read it through a damn uh, MMA website that put their twist on it or tweaked it the wrong way. Or and the other thing too is fighters giving them generic generic comments. I feel great, best camp I've ever had. Oh, then after the fight, they're like, oh yeah, I'm fucking dealing with injuries. In the fighter meetings, we get we get to know. Okay, he was 15 pounds overweight a day before. Like weigh-ins, okay, like that. Will that play a factor? That all that good stuff that you get from guys like DC and Joe, whatever they get it from the fighter meetings because they're not telling the media that. That's why we do the fighter meetings. And so in, a, in the Diego situation, they were like, "Why the fuck is Joshua Fabia here? We're not gonna, we're not inter- interviewing this fucking guy. We're interviewing fucking Diego. You don't need to be here. Like, beat it, kid. Like, get out of here. Spotlight." Yeah, the only, the only time that you get somebody in there with the fighter in a fighter meeting is they don't speak the language well. They'll get an interpreter. Other than that, you don't have Greg Jackson sitting down next to his fighter. You don't. That just doesn't happen. Occasionally, you'll have a dad. You know, like a dad will be in there sometimes. You know, it depends on when they traveled from. Sometimes, you know, like uh, James Gallagher. I think uh, I went out. His his mom came. She wanted to kind of see what what the fighter meetings were all about. You know, it was kind of cool, cool little deal. You know, like she was there just listening to him to answer and stuff. He was a little bit more on his P's and Q's. My mom was in the room too, so it was nice, you know. But, uh, you know, but I mean, like, there's times. You, uh, Joey Davis's, Joey Davis, his dad, his dad comes in occasionally and will yeah. listen to the fighter. You know, and so, like, you, you sometimes will have Normally, it's just the fighter, not not anybody else. So you get the you get the good stuff out of them, you know. And we don't we say all, any of it until the fight. And sometimes you're you're at, you're. You're asking them pretty pointed questions about, look, you know, your last fight, you did this. You know, what is it that 
has changed that we can look at and say, well, that's going to change in this matchup with this guy. You know, and, you're, and you're making them answer things, you know, to see exactly where they're at. You know, they'll sit there and say, that's been the best camp of my life. You know what? We were told that you had a knee injury. You know, pull it out of them. You know, they say, well, yeah, yeah, you know, I would say, and it's just all information that, you know, we don't sit there and tell anyone until the broadcast, that's when it'll come out. So we have something to give to the, you know, the viewer that's there watching the fight that gets some information on that fighter. I thought they were talking, I, I swear to God, when you first started this, I thought he was talking about like officials in the back fighter meetings. Oh, no, I think it was like fighter meetings because the, the Joshua, oh, right. yeah. I think you got it right. Um, Yeah, you guys have like, like John just said, like sometimes we'll, I don't want to say we go hard in the paint on them, but, but we, I'll ask you okay. very direct questions and say like, hey. You know, like, you guys see how I am a little bit. Like, I'm very kind of, I can, you guys call it being annoying, which I am. But I, I will, I will ask these questions. John's in the fighter meetings with me. I'm like, hey, you couldn't stop one fucking takedown the last three fights. What makes you think you're going to beat this guy? You know, and they're like, uh, well, I worked with, and then that's when I get the whole, well, I went to, I went to this college to wrestle with these guys. I was at this Olympic training center wrestling with this person. I was over here doing this and doing this. And I've actually been working with them since nine months I've been off like every day it's been those are the things that I need to hear and I wouldn't get those from reading something they said on media because they're trying to hide it or they just don't want they, they don't want it to be out there yet because if they don't stop any takedowns it negatively affects them so that, that like those are the things that we get from them by by asking more direct questions to them so uh, what else you got Dave all right, we got four more questions. Uh, next one's from DNA, who asks, "Do interim title holders get paid a percentage of pay-per-views, like not like a normal champ? Can you go into detail a little bit about how pay structure changes when you become a champion?" Hashtag and still. Go ahead, John. <laughs> it, it honestly, it all depends. It, because you're the interim champion, does not mean that you get pay-per-view points automatically. That is based upon the contract that your manager or you decide to sign with the UFC. Now it could be that if you take this interim title fight and you win, then in your next fight, you may get some pay-per-view. And especially if you are going to, as they hope match up with the actual linear champion, the person that holds that real title. So if you're Dustin Poirier going and you're going to fight Max Holloway, and you fight Max Holloway for the interim lightweight belt because Habib is sitting off on the side right now. And you win that belt. That doesn't mean that you got pay-per-view. You got paid for that fight, but that doesn't mean you get pay-per-view money for that fight. Now that you go into the next fight with Habib, if as long as it's been put in there, if you become the interim title holder, you will get this pay-per-view percentage, then yes, you'll get your pay-per-view points. But... That is not an automatic thing. It's something that's worked out contractually. Yeah. If you're fighting for a vacant interim title, the two of you guys, odds are they're probably not going to give it to you. They should. I'm not saying I think they should. But will they? No, they probably won't. But once once you win the interim title, you'll get you'll probably get your pay-per-view dollars if you and your manager negotiated that going into it. Now look, pay-per-views have not the numbers just haven't been what they've been over the deck you know over the last decade so if you were a manager right you're probably thinking you know what keep your pay-per-view numbers that's fine just pay us more i mean that's kind of where you could be at you could say hey instead of giving me you know two dollars on the pay-per-view buys 
you know, just pay me instead of paying me 500,000, pay me a million and just say it's a flat fee of a million dollars. You could do that, but you could be shooting yourself in your, in, you know, in your own foot. But it's, it's really it, like John said, it's all comes down to what you negotiate with your manager and what you negotiate with Dana White and those guys. And you know, so, so you people understand it, Josh said $2 per pay-per-view buy. That could be it. But normally that's not the way the UFC is going to do it. They're going to sit there and they're going to break it down into you get 50 cents for every pay-per-view buy up to 100,000. Then from 100,000 to 200,000, you'll get a dollar. And from 200,000 to 400,000, you'll get two. And from 400,000 to 700,000, you'll get three. And that's the way, you know, because the more that you bring, the more money you will make. Because they want you to work at, they want you to work at making that pay per view successful. That's part of your job. Yeah, it usually goes up by every fifty thousand. You get you get like a you know you get a bump in pay. So, uh, what else? X Faded asks: Is it possible Rays can get back to champ to the championship level after the really bad two KOs? Who? Dominic Reyes. Oh, Dominic Reyes. Yeah, he could absolutely get back to championship level, but he needs to sit back, look at what has occurred in his two losses, and fix some of the holes that are there. Now, I, I will say, I love the way that he fought against Yuri as far as the heart that he showed, the determination that he showed, the willingness to engage even when, at times, I would have told him, I want you to circle out, don't throw at that situation, but... You got to love what he was. He had no quit in him. He was going after it when he was getting hit with big shots. But there's a reason you're getting hit with big shots. And you've got to figure those things out and figure out what was it that made you successful throughout all that time. And then all of a sudden now you've had two fights where it just hasn't worked out for you. Now look, Jan has got power. He can hurt someone. When your nose gets broken, it's not easy to fight can't breathe it's uh, as far as you can't breathe out of your nose every time you get hit in the face it freaking hurts so you know there's a whole lot of things that can happen with that but he has not had the same swagger than not not the same you know confidence going into the fights now especially his last one was a little bit different he was fighting off his back foot a lot he can't fight off his back foot you go and you look when he's successful he's coming forward He's controlling the fight. That's what makes Dominic Reyes successful. When he has been put in a position to be on his back foot, to be almost a defensive fighter, he has not been successful. So this is when we talk, and Josh and I talk all the time about, hey, there's kind of a blueprint that has been put out there on how to beat this guy now. Well, there's a blueprint that has been put out there on how do you beat Dominic Reyes. Well, Dominic now needs to take that blueprint and burn it, meaning he needs to fix the holes that people are using to get an advantage on him and make it to where it doesn't work. Now the blueprint doesn't work, and he's successful again. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I think he can make another run. I think he's got to just tighten up his defense significantly. Um, The yawn fight is something you can take a look at and be like, hey, I can fix the things and the mistakes that I made in that fight. The Yuri fight, I don't think there was much to fix. You know, I mean, Yuri also, too, is not going to, he's not, he doesn't fight like everybody else. Yawn fights like other guys. 
you know, where Yuri doesn't fight like other guys. So like getting hit and punched and kicked from different angles, that that's not going to happen as, as often or it's very rare for that to happen, especially for bigger guys. So Dom just needs to tighten up his defense. Like you said, John, he made some mistakes in terms of when he got hit, he should have stepped back a little bit, got his, you know, got his bits, he got his wits back about him and stuff, and then went back in. Instead, he chased after more and, you know, and just was getting hit with even harder shots. So he, I liked what he did in that fight. I thought he did some good stuff. I thought it was a great fight. Um, I didn't actually, when that fight got put together, I was like, ah, oh, it's going to be an okay fight. But fuck, it was fireworks. You know, and so that fight was great. I thought Dom did a great job in that fight. He just, you know, it happens, man. You, you know, it, the, the, that's the fight game. But with the Yawn fight, I look at that, and I'm like, hey, this is a more traditional style of a fighter, and I need to make sure that I tighten up my defense, clean everything up, don't lunge in, don't leave my chin in the air, all of those things that I can get away with because I'm 6'6", six, six or however tall he is. You know what I mean? So I, those are things that he needs to, he can, he can tighten up and he can fix. So do I think he can make another run? Absolutely. Do I think he'll be a champion? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Last question comes from Martaza Nazir. If the Nate Leon fight was judged in its entirety, like one does, what would have been the outcome? Hashtag and still. <laughs> the fucking whole fight belonged to Leon. <laughs> like, hold on. Nate. Nate. <laughs> Sorry, I can't. <laughs> People, that fight was 25 minutes long. I admit that Leon Edwards did not look good for one minute of the fight. 24 minutes, he won. One minute, he lost. Now, did he ever go down? Hello? No. Did did he get hurt? Yes. Leon Edwards wins the fight. That is crazy. Yes, he got hit with one beautiful left hand, and it rocked his world. And he was hurt, but he was smart enough to be able to stay on his feet, be able to last through the fight. He lost a minute of the of the fight. It doesn't make up for the twenty four minutes that he whooped on Nate. And you know, put you know, take a look at the damage on Nate. My God, people forget. You know, if it was one, it would have been Leon Edwards. Like I guess when you're reading that question. I'm sorry, I don't. Remember, I can't remember who who the guy was or person was that that sent it. Whatever. When you were typing that out, did you read it to yourself and realize what it said? It said, "If you judge the fight in its entirety, who wins?" Okay, so for 24 minutes, Leon won. Nate won one one minute. If you judge it in the entirety, did you like? You've got to read that back to yourself. Look, I'm just giving you a hard time because that's what I do. That's why they call me the punk. But uh, hopefully we answered all of your guys' questions. Hey, go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash in. Use the promo code and still And get that nice little shirt that John's got there right there. It's Independence Day for the 4th of July. It's only available today. It's also available in white and royal blue. Is it royal blue or navy blue? It's royal blue. Is it royal blue? Okay. Yes. Did, you, did you get one? Dave does not know navy blue. and him, He and my wife will have a fight over this oh, color geez. conflict. <laughs> Miss McCarthy. Actually, Josh picked the color. So. <laughs> You're such an asshole. <laughs> Love it. Uh, also, what else was there, John? I got to tell everyone, hey, hope you have a very happy 4th of July to everyone out there that's not in the United States. I hope you have a fantastic 4th of July, too. You're just going to have the fireworks. I am going to have an amazing fireworks show that I put on here for all the people where I live. And, Josh, I hope that you have a great 4th of July. 
with the wonderful people that you are with. Dave, Austin, Texas. I don't know what they do. It's Texas. They're going to they're gonna go big. If you're in Texas, you go big, you go home. So, everyone, I hope you have some good time, great barbecue, whatever it is you're going to do. Spend it with family and friends. One second. How sad is it today that someone woke up this morning realizing that they're not going to go to bed with all 10 of their fingers? <laughs> they woke up this morning. Someone's going to go to bed tonight. Missing a finger or two. I may be that guy at the end, but I have all 10 right now. The number one thing that I want to say, guys, be safe. Please don't drink and drive. Be very careful with the fireworks. Have fun. Enjoy the fireworks. I love them. Just be very cautious and safe. Keep your family safe. And uh, John. To everyone out there, have a great day. Like Josh said, be safe, and we will see you. 